0: Hello, and welcome to Minnesota Soil Health Coalition's podcast. This is Kelly, the Coalition Assistant. Here, we'll discuss the principles of soil health and chat with those who advocate for it in Minnesota. Water quality, agriculture, soil health, human health, all of this, do you want to just talk about like where that comes together and in your, you know, how you've worked through those and bringing those all together in your position?
1: Of course, yeah. So when you're looking at, you know, anything, anything on the landscape, right, and, and looking at water infiltration um, and agriculture, any, anything that's going to be impacting those processes is going to be impacting groundwater quality, surface water quality, and by extension, you know, human health.
0: That's Taylor Becker, University of Minnesota Extension Educator, specifically in the area of agricultural water quality protection.
1: Um, So especially with my position, it is focused on groundwater quality and agricultural water quality, specifically um, looking at nitrates in groundwater. That is a huge problem right now in Minnesota specifically um, that, you know, that farmers are dealing with, that the Minnesota Department of Health is dealing with, um, and that the public is dealing with. So they're dealing with these nitrates in their groundwater.
0: Nitrates. This is a common contaminant found in drinking water across the country, posing a public health threat, and more notably, can lead to methemoglobinemia in infants, or blue baby syndrome. Nitrates can make their way into our water supply as a result of runoff from farm fields utilizing commercial fertilizers. Reducing nitrate leaching is a big piece of the Minnesota Egg Water Quality Certification Program. Many farmers around Minnesota have been awarded this certification as a result of using best management practices to protect the water supply. One example is Pleasure Woods Farms up in Ogilvy, Minnesota. I chatted with Duane and his son Tony about their farm and the process of becoming certified.
2: In 1986 is when I moved here and I started renting the place for a year and then I bought a contract for deed. That was right after the farm crisis stuff was happening. So it was unfortunate for the man before me, but it gave me an opportunity to get into farming. And at that time I was raising uh, cattle on on all grain, finishing them on an all grain system. And over the years, uh, different things happened. And I I went to uh, all forage fed program. So now we have all natural cattle and we finish them on grass and they cannot have grain in their system their whole life, which is a uh, 180 from where I started from. So in the beginning I was raising almost strictly corn on the farm. Um, after 10 plus years, I probably incorporated some beans into the rotation with a, a little hay. At that time I was buying most of my hay, but everything was finished on grain. Now we have um, almost everything is into alfalfa or alfalfa grass or, or there's some um, grass hay on another farm, but there's very little crop acres every year. And the crop acres that we do have, we try to utilize the, the cover crops every year. So any ground that we have this year, we actually had some ground that we just held off just for cover crops in, in, uh, to graze them. I think I was probably the second one in the county to receive the certification, I think. 2015, I believe. And, and, and so the, the reason being is, is there's actually a lady that worked at NRCS had kind of put it before me a little bit in, because of our natural program. And, and then also by going through the water quality, you were um, grandfathered in against any regulations that were changed for the next five years, I believe. So that was kind of a little incentive and, and we're doing almost everything anyway, or we're trying to work towards it. You always learn more every day. So everything on the farm's a, a continual, a different look at how you do things. Um, just when you think you're doing things really good, there's a way to improve it to to be better.
0: As Pleasure Woods Farms has been certified for about five years now, they've been able to watch improvements develop right before their eyes.
2: There's a a friend of mine that that we go to church together and and he comments about how our fields don't have standing water compared to the neighbors as he goes up and down the road. So, I mean, there's something to say about the way the soil health, because it can absorb the water and take it again. So you don't have standing water and and then I mean also the the runoff I mean there's no comparison you know
3: as far as uh, erosion and things like that. We're really big into soil testing and and you know if, if some things are low in micronutrients um, sometimes it's it's those micronutrients I mean the very fine details is is what is going to bring you to the next level. Um, so for us um, on our hay ground, we we foliar feed. Um, we we either take a, a tissue test or a soil test to figure out what it's calling for, so that we're not over applying anything and only giving that soil what it's needs. And uh, recently, we've actually cut back from from dry commercial fertilizer, and we found. Um, a Soil response from not using it rather than using it, which which I think is a, a pretty big testament of of what the soil can provide on its own. This year we we used um, you know just cattle manure or turkey manure, um, just going over our, our our hay crop on a very very fine uh, layer, um, about as thin as we could spread it, just to give it a little bit, but but not you know anything too much and and what we found is the the cattle are, are consuming the grass better, um, the grass came back thicker, um, and it just seems healthier. Um, so, granted, it's it's only the first year we we've, we've done it, but we we certainly saw a response from it. By going through the
2: the certification, it steps you up another notch. I, I know in the in the field on the back of the farm, we had to make some changes with a couple of tiles back there and in a buffer along a ditch and some different things like that, but it just makes you uh, more aware of different things in and to see how you can improve things and, and not like it's life changing, but it's just little practices all the time that you can do to, to better and then, then to see the results. I mean, we're constantly trying to improve the soil um, Especially with uh, the forage fed steers because if, if we've got great things happening under the soil, that's when we get th- great things to happen on top and, and that's how, how we finish our cattle.
0: This relationship between soil health and its ability to improve water quality is critical for resource conservation. And this makes total sense. As Taylor states, nitrate levels are directly tied to the quality of the soils.
1: Um, in terms of soil health, You know any any kind of practice that is going to be impacting the soil uh, in terms of soil organic matter you know water infiltration nutrient cycling any kind of practice that's going to be impacting that is going to be impacting the water that is coming out of that soil so improving organic matter you know uh cover cropping having continuous cover you know so perennial crops that kind of thing uh, having living roots in the soil is going to be impacting nutrient cycling Um, in the soil and that in turn will impact leaching and loss.
0: Yeah Yeah. and so now with that, with the nitrates, um, you know those are are essentially being washed out of the soil and off of the soil into the groundwater system. Where do the nitrates come from just for those people who maybe don't have as much knowledge in uh, their impact on the groundwater system?
1: Right, so in a natural system you will you'll always have nitrogen in the soil. Um, you know, in soil organic matter, nitrogen is a, is a huge component of, of soil organic matter. Um, and those, you know, microbes and living roots and, and any, any kind of biomass is gonna have nitrogen in it. Uh, where you get problems with leaching is when there's an excess of nitrogen in the system. So when you're adding a synthetic fertilizer to cropland and then, you know, of course that crop does take up a significant amount of that nitrogen. Uh, but if there's any nitrogen in excess that the system can't hold, so that the soil microbes can't cycle, um, that the crop can't take up, you know, that the, that the soil that won't be held on to soil particles is going to be leached. Okay. Um, and then, you know, there's other soil, of course, you know, the, the nitrogen cycle is extremely complicated mm-hmm. and there's plenty of different players. Uh, there's different microbes um, and different biochemical processes that are involved, but uh, when it comes down to it. If that nitrogen isn't being held in the system in organic matter uh, or taken up by a crop, it's, it's gonna be lost. So with cover cropping and with, and with incorporating any kind of organic matter, you know, with practices like, um, you know, strip tillage or conservation tillage, um, or when you're adding a cover crop, anytime you're adding any kind of organic matter, it's gonna be doing something to the soil, um, you know, where it's improving soil structure. So aggregation is extremely important, which um, you know, improves infiltration, but it also improves water holding capacity, which is, um, which is really important for nitrate leaching. Because if, if you have that nitrate, which is you know, water soluble, if you have it staying in the soil for longer, there's going to be more of a chance for those microbes to incorporate it into their biomass, um, you know, and make it a stable, a stable organic matter. When you have more of those micropores, it's going to be holding onto that soil or holding on, excuse me, it's going to be holding on to that water. Um,
0: and, <laughs> I would and, hope it's holding on to that yeah. soil. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, that's, no, that's definitely a thing. So organic matter, you know, there's these, you know, it's kind of a technical, but there's these root, you know, root exudates and, and, and organic matter is sticky. So, you know, it sticks those soil particles together. Yeah. And so, yeah, so then you're not losing your soil as well. You're not losing your soil. You're not losing your water. It's staying in the system um, and then reducing those water quality concerns cover crops, they are nitrogen scavengers. So things like cereal rye um, are going to be really good at taking up that nitrogen mm-hmm. and holding it in their above ground biomass. <laughs> so there's, you know, there's definitely many different pools of organic matter that we're talking about. Um, so mm-hmm. there's the organic matter that's in the, in the cover crops in the above ground biomass. So that's holding on to nitrogen. And then the roots are holding on to nitrogen. And then the microbes that are associated with you know, in improved organic matter in soil are going to be holding onto nitrogen as well. So it's really a very integrated system.
0: So the when you think when you know, you're talking about cover crops and I'm thinking about like the soil health principles and like how living root is is in the in the ground is so important for that. Are there any other like other than cover crops, are there any other conservation practices that really stick out to you for like improving water quality? I know they all kind of do their part, but Um, cover crops sounds like it's a really big one. Are there any other ones that you would recommend farmers kind of thinking about if they're wanting to improve the water quality in their area?
1: Yeah so I mean so with reduced tillage that's really kind of a a surface water quality issue um, and an erosion issue. So you know anytime you're going to be reducing tillage you're going to be reducing chances of erosion and with erosion come loss of um nutrients especially phosphorus mm-hmm. um and so that's a problem for surface water quality um which which is you know which is a big a big issue especially you know in in Minnesota you know in in lakes and stuff and phosphorus is a limiting nutrient and um so you know that is that is definitely a big
0: concern to try and mitigate some of the leaching into Minnesota's groundwater supply the Minnesota agriculture commissioner signed the groundwater protection rule last year this has become a recent focus of Taylor's position as an extension educator, working with farmers and agronomists in the state to reduce the amount of commercial nitrogen fertilizer they're adding to their fields.
1: The fall nitrogen fertilizer restrictions came into effect this year, you know, September 1st. Mm-hmm. So there are areas throughout the state with vulnerable groundwater, you know, sandier soils, where those restrictions are currently now in place. Um, and then also with that, there are some, you know, some townships in the state that have elevated nitrate in their drinking water now. And so part of my position is to work with those areas and work with the farmers that are in, you know, that are that have land that are contributing to those watersheds, um, and working with them on creating a plan to reduce the nitrate in that groundwater. So the second part of the rule, which is those drinking water supply management areas. Um, those, those, you know, the people within those areas have already been notified. Um, and it's more of an individual process as opposed to a statewide process. Okay. Um, because it's only, you know, a few townships throughout the state, it's not across the state. Um, so looking to help them make a plan that's, that's gonna be impactful is kind of the, the big thing because every one of these drinking water supply management areas is in a level one or level two, um, which is non-regulated. Um, And if those, if the groundwater, you know, continues to have high levels of nitrate and it's shown that, you know, over 80% of those lands aren't, you know, implementing some best management practice to help with the nitrate issue, um, it could be moving potentially into a regulated um, Mm. area, which is really not what we want, not what the NDA wants, um, you know. You want so to be really, more of
0: like a partnership rather than a more of a
1: partnership. A law. Yeah, partnership, voluntary is kind mm-hmm. of like the key word, um, and really trying to educate and and help and and you know the thing is is that, you know a lot a lot of these growers are already doing they already are very concerned about loss you know and pro and and, and concerned about, you know nitrate loss and profits and and they want to have the most efficient system right, mm-hmm. um, and and they really do. You know, care about stewardship of land. So it's kind of just like doing that next extra step and educating, saying like, yes, like these practices are great, but we're still getting elevated levels of nitrate in the drinking water. So what can we do?
0: When we think about protecting our resources through conservation practices, there are a number of routes you can take. One piece of advice, according to Taylor, is to cast a wide net. An integrated approach will most likely be your best bet.
1: So the one thing that I'm really thinking about when it comes to you know, soil health, water quality, and agriculture, is that if we're looking at it, there really isn't going to be one key single practice that you're going to be able to implement and say, like, like magic, you know, there goes the nitrate levels, they're going down. It's, it's, it's definitely not going to be like that. It's going to have to be a combination of practices to achieve that goal. Um, There's a professor, Jeff Strack, and he talks about this in terms of phosphorus loss, but I really like what he says, and he says that there is no silver bullet when it comes to reducing leaching, you know, it's going to be a lot of small little bullets (laughs) combined that are going to be, that are going to help. And that these methods are really going to have to be implemented, you know, uniquely on a farm to farm basis. So what works for your farm might not work for your neighbor. Um, So it's really important to like, look at some of the research that's going on at the university um, and look at kind of the implements that you have, the resources that are available to you, you know, your soil type, and and really have to make an individualized plan, which is going to take some time, and it's going to take some effort and some trial and error. Um, But, you know, there's plenty of resources out there. So there's like the U, there's Extension Educators, you know, there's the Minnesota Soil Health Coalition, um, you know, there's your soil and water conservation districts, there's the NRCS. So there's definitely plenty of resources out there.
0: So what's on the horizon for agriculture and water quality? Well, what's important to remember, just as Dwayne said, is that there's always ongoing research to find a better way to do things. Taylor shares some ongoing studies at the U to investigate water quality in agriculture.
1: So so there are, there is some work going on at some of the research stations. So uh, Axel Garcia and Garcia actually has been doing some work with winter oil seeds as cover crops um, and found that, you know, those cover crops, when when planted can take up to 20 to 25 pounds of nitrogen per acre that would otherwise be lost in a, you know, in a corn soybean rotation. Yeah. And then the other thing with Minnesota is because there's such a short growing season and then, you know, the winters come pretty soon after, after a corn harvest or, you know, a a cash crop harvest, there's, there's some research going on with uh, interseeding cover crops. Okay. So planting cover crops within a corn a corn crop, you know, at like a V4, V6 growth stage. Um, and that, that work's going on also with Axel Garcia-Garcia. Um, they're going to be looking at results soon, so that's kind of ongoing research. Um, but they're looking at crimson clover and cereal rye as a cover crop uh, okay. interseeded. So that's going to be really interesting work when it comes out, because the problem with cover crops in Minnesota is you know, after harvest and then you plant cover crops and there's just not enough time for those cover crops to accumulate biomass before a freeze. And so interseeding is a way to kind of help with that, Uh, whether it's gonna be impacting that cash crop or not, that's kind of what they're looking at. I think cover crops is a big buzzword in in terms of research right now, which is good. And it needs to be done in Minnesota, it really does. Because again, like I mentioned with that short growing season, um, and looking at some of the different climactic pressures that are happening in Minnesota. It's, it's really important to do that research.
0: To find out more, you can visit the Extension at their website, extension.umn.edu, and stay tuned for updates on their Minnesota Crop News blog. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Minnesota Soil Health Coalition podcast, and we'll catch you next time. Happy farming.